Indeed, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you for all that great music. I want to thank the Bells for that beautiful, beautiful rendition that they did. Uh, Horatio Spafford, a Chicago lawyer, wrote, It is well with my soul. And he wrote that sitting at his desk not 30 miles from here. He had just lost his family in a seafaring accident. They were on their way to Europe. And one of his law partners walked in and said, you're always talking about how good your God is. Now talk to us. And he said, it is well with my soul. And he wrote that song, Horatio Spafford. Those bells were beautiful. I love listening to your pastor lead singing here. Uh, I, no one could copy that style. It is just him, and it is wonderful, and it is a blessing, and I love every minute of it. Uh, I, I sing, and I don't sing good, but I sing when he does, because I love the spirit and the heart with which God uses Pastor John Wilkerson. And thank you, church, for the great work that you're doing in our nation. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter 11. Not going to preach at length tonight, but we're going to talk about something super critical because in the life of a believer, it's the most powerful thing in all the Bible. You know what the most powerful thing is in the life of any child of God? Prayer. By prayer, God enables you and me to do the impossible. Not to do difficult things, not to do awesome things, to do impossible things. And God says, I'm going to make it possible for every one of my children to do that. I want to just ask you a simple question. What's on your impossible prayer list? Now, God says there's two keys to getting this prayer answered. And we just read them. They're not complicated. In fact, most of you already know them. Let's read exactly what it says. Verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. Now remember, he's three days away from Calvary. He's in the middle of the Passion Week. In three days, he's going to be going to that cross. And he's been doing all the praying, and now he's teaching his followers how to pray. And he tells them, you've got to get your confidence out of yourself. You've got to get your confidence in what God can do. Put a little star by verse 22, because that is exactly where most Christians are frozen. They're trusting their experience, their diligence, their talent. Yeah, I can't do impossible things, but boy, with what all I bring to the table, look at all the things I can do. And so we want to just pull it off ourselves. And God says, stop it. I want you to do impossible things. Have faith in God. Then he tells you how to activate that faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, pastor didn't say that. God said that. David Gibbs didn't eloquent those words. God said them. 
What would you like to have God do that is impossible? Now, when he said move mountains, let's be real clear. He wasn't talking about rearranging the topography of the area. He wasn't saying, let's take the Rockies and move them to Florida. That's not what he's saying. Moving mountains was their frame of speech for doing the impossible. We still use this frame of speech. We say, I've got a mountain of debt I'm worried about. I got a mountain of health trouble. I got a relationship that's so messed up, I can't figure out how it even got to where it is. And I've got a mountain of distress over it. You don't have a mountain. That's the figure of speech we use. And God says, say unto that mountain, if you ask in faith, believing, and you shall have it. Now, would you circle the word whosoever? That's your name. That's my name. God didn't say this is just something for very special super, super type of Christians. He said, whosoever does this of my children, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. By the way, you know this, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's timing for you and me. But I'm running into Christians everywhere when I ask them, has God ever done something impossible for you? They say no. And then I ask them this question, have you asked? And what are you asking God for? Now he says you have not because you ask not. And right now, we've got a world full of wonderful Christians who've simply not asked. And what would it be to trigger them into asking? Now, I'm not responsible for anyone else, but I'm sure responsible for me, and you're responsible for you. And what would it take for you to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to start moving mountains? I'm going to ask God to do some impossible things. Well, yeah, but Brother Gibbs, it says here you've got to have faith. Yeah, that's what it says. Ask in faith, believing, and you shall receive. Well, I, I just don't think, I, I just don't think I'll have enough faith. Oh, I promise you, you will. Write this verse down. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that'll be enough faith. A mustard seed was the tallest seed, smallest, that you could see with the naked eye. It's minuscule. It takes 22,000 plus mustard seeds to weigh an ounce. There's next to nothing to one. And the Savior you serve said, if you have that much faith, That'll trigger it and do it. What are you asking that's impossible for your grandkids? For your family? For this church? For our nation? For your own life? Ask in faith believing and you shall receive. I remember a young evangelist who called my father. And he said, Mr. Gibbs, I understand that you have a number of semi-trucks. We were in the cattle slaughtering business. My dad said, yeah, we, we got a lot of semis. And he said, well, I need your help. 
He said, I'm trying to raise a tent out here. I want to hold a tent meeting to get people saved. And he said, my trucks are so decrepit, they're so shot, they're so beat to pieces that they don't have the power to pull the tent up. So could you come out with your trucks and help me pull my tent up? I need your help. Now, this is in the early 1950s. My dad said, sure, I'll be glad to help you out. Well, any time I could hop in one of those trucks as a little kid, I loved doing it. So when they were going, I hopped in one riding along with my dad, and we got out to where they had this tent spread out on a field. And we had 10 trucks there, 10 semis. And when we got there, my dad got out and walked around and looked at his tent, and he said, young man, I don't know how to tell you this, your tent is shot. I mean, it's full of pieces. There's no way we're gonna raise this tent. We put the tension of these trucks on them, these powerful trucks, we'll shred it. It'll just be obliterated. He said, oh, you're right, you're right. He said, the truth is I got more patch than tent. But here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna ask God to move a mountain. I'd never heard anybody say that. I'm gonna ask God to move a mountain and help me get this tent up. You're right, Mr. Gibbs, it's impossible. But he said, would you hook them up, hook the trucks up, but don't pull. And then I'm gonna go over here and get on my face and ask God for the impossible. If we had to get a hold of God tonight for the impossible, would you raise your hand and say, I'm that man, I'm that woman, or are we just supremely comfortable not getting ourselves into that, just relying on ourselves? Hmm. Well, they hooked those trucks up, and then this young evangelist, I don't think he was 20, 19 years of age, he walked over a distance like from here to that, that camera over there, and he got on his face in a field, and he started crying out to God. And my dad's drivers came and said, what's he doing? My dad said, he's asking God to move a mountain. They said, what do you mean? There's no mountains around here. He said, he's asking God to do the impossible. And Earl Meeks, one of my dad's drivers, said, well, if he's going to pull this tent up, he's going to need God to do something. It's not going anywhere. And we stood there listening to him cry out to God. Has anybody ever heard you cry out to God for the impossible? Has your mate or your children or your friends or anybody? How did we get comfortable not asking? Well, after probably 15, maybe 20 minutes, he came walking back. And he said, okay, Mr. Gibbs, hook him up and pull. My dad said, son, I'm going to do it for you, but it's going to destroy it. I just don't want you mad when we wreck your tent. He said, I won't get mad. I understand. What happened next was amazing. They hooked those powerful semis up and they started pulling. 
and that tent got under pressure and it literally started screaming. It started vibrating violently and the most eerie, screamy sounds came out of it. And slowly it went up. Finally, when it got up to the top, they stopped it. I said, okay, stake it off. And they did. And my dad's drivers came around and said, how do you do that? That's not possible. You see, the world understands doing difficult. They understand doing great, but they can't do impossible. That takes God. Finally, we're getting ready to leave. My dad said, young man, I, I think we ought to raise some money and buy you a new tent. He said, no, no, don't need a new tent. He said, this is the last time I'm going to use it. He said, God's laid on my heart to found a church here. I'm going to do two weeks of this tent meeting, get people saved and start a church. And he said, I don't need another tent. My dad said, well, good for you. But he said, there is something you could pray for me about, Mr. Gibbs. Something that is really impossible. My dad said, what's that, son? Now, I'm just a kid standing there listening to all this. He said, I want God to let me get on television for 10 minutes and give the Romans road so people can get saved. I have to understand, television was in its super infancy in the early 1950s. How many of you are old enough to remember the screens with all the white snow on them? Hold your hand up. You remember all that? Then you remember how we'd have the kids hold the rabbit ears to get a better, a better picture? And while you were standing there holding the rabbit ears, we were nuking them, your teeth would vibrate. If you lived in a big town, you had a station. Most didn't have a station. It was in its infancy, infancy. They came on late in the afternoon, and they went off in early evening after the news. He said, I'm asking God to give me 10 minutes to give the Romans road so people can get saved. My dad said, you want to put the gospel on television? He said, I do. My dad looked at him and he said, son, you have any experience? You have any training in anything like this? He said, no, I have no training. He said, do you have any academic credentials? He said, Mr. Gibbs, I never got to graduate from high school. I had to leave high school because my dad died. And in order to feed my mom and my two brothers and my sister, I had to go to work. So I have no experience and no credentials. My dad says, you got any money? He said, Mr. Gibbs, if I had money, I'd have a new tent. <laughs> he said, no, I don't have any money. We're standing by that truck. My dad said, son, what makes you think God's going to let you put the gospel on television? He looked at my dad and he said, because I asked. Because I asked. 
Do you have any idea how powerful an ask is with God? Ask and ye shall receive, Jesus said seven times. Ask in faith believing. Do you have any idea how thunderingly debilitating it is when we don't ask? On the way home in the truck, I told my dad, you think he's going to put the Romans Road on TV? Boy, I'd like to see that. That'd be something. My dad said, I don't know, but he did the impossible. Man, God moved a mountain. Don't you ever forget what you saw today, son. Trucks didn't pull that tent up. God put that tent up. And he said, at some point, you're going to need God to do what only God can do, David. Well, he did his two weeks, and then he rented a little debilitated movie theater, rat-infested. Had 60 chairs in it, started his little church. Now, never forget, we went to one of his services. It's the only service where they had a sign outside that said, we are rat-infested, and we're trying to get rid of them, but please keep your feet on the chair in front of you. So if something furry runs by, you don't jump. I mean, I was outside on a sign. And I'm thinking, and this is the guy who's going to be on TV. Well, he went the next Saturday up to the TV station. Got a hold of the station manager, and he said, I want you to put me on TV. I have no money. I need 10 minutes to give the Romans road so that people can get saved. And the guy said, let me get this right. You want me to put you on for free? He said, right. He said, son, why would I put you on for free? I have people standing in line with money. I don't have enough time to sell them. You're out of your mind if you think I'm going to put you on for free. What makes you think I would do that? And that young preacher looked at him and he said, because I asked. And that station manager said, you asked who? He said, I asked God. We're almost afraid to say that, aren't we? What would they think of me if I said something like that, Brother Eddie? He cussed him out and said, get out of here, get out of here. Threw him out the door. Next Saturday, he went back. He said, I still don't have money, but I'm asking God, I want you to put me on. I need 10 minutes for free. Now he cussed him out more violently, and he said, you're a slow learner. There's no way I'm ever putting you on. We're not going to have religion on TV, at least on anything that I have to do with it. Threw him out again. Went back a third Sunday, Saturday. Same thing. Station manager threw him out. But while he was walking out the door, a secretary sitting at a desk said, can I ask you a question? She said, does this Romans road that you want to put on TV tell somebody how to go to heaven the day they die? Is that what it does? He said, ma'am, that's exactly what it does. She said, well, I have a sister who's dying. And she's scared to death. Could you come give your Romans road to my sister? Would you do that? He said, I'd be honored to. 
She said, well, get in your car and follow me. Now, when she said follow me, she thought she meant it was in the area. So he gets in his car and started following her. The sister lives 300 miles away. He's following for 300 miles. Now he's running out of fuel. Finally, they get there. He gets up, gives the lady the Romans road, and she trusts Christ. Good thing he did. She only lived two more days. When they came walking out of the sister's home, that secretary said, is that what you wanted to put on TV, what you just did? He said, that's it. She said, well, come next Saturday. You're going to put that on TV. He said, ma'am, that's really a sweet thought, but that station manager, he hates me. And she looked at him and she said, I know, that's my husband. <laughs> and here's what you don't know. I own the station, he doesn't. He works for me. Be there next Saturday. He got there, gave the Romans road. Ten minutes for free. Said, if you prayed that sinner's prayer, I want you to call this number. And over 400 people called and said, I did that. Now what? Next Sunday, the numbers doubled. Same thing, just the gospel. And God started moving. That lady said, I own not only this station, I own two others, so now you're going to be on three. And she said, I know virtually everybody with the station, and I've been calling all my friends. And in just a few years' time, she had him on 2,600 stations. And people would come up to him and say, how'd you do that? He said, I asked. I asked. The devil will do anything in his power to keep you from asking, to keep you quiet. Now, you've got to ask specifically, say unto this mountain, be thou removed. You've got to get specific with God. Brother Gibbs, why do I have to get specific with God? God really already knows. Yes, he does, but he wants you to get specific with him, and that's his request. What would it take for you to pick a mountain and asking God to change it? Something impossible that you want God to make a difference in. Many of you have heard me tell the story of my precious mother. She was the pianist in our church. I love all your musicians here and I love listening to all the people, and God bless you, young lady. And by the way, when you sit over here, all you hear are the trumpet players. They, they, they're right there with your ear. And by the way, if, if you ladies want to get a good young man, check out the trumpet players. 
because they make great kissers later in life. They, they really do a good job. I shouldn't have said that, should I? That's going to come back. I'm eight years of age. Church was our life. My mom was Juilliard trained. Wasn't anything she couldn't play. And one morning at 5 a.m., polio hit our house. Poliospinal meningitis. My mom said, run, get your dad. I think I'm really sick. And I ran to get my dad. When I came back, my mom was convulsing on the couch. She couldn't breathe. Blood was pouring out of her eyes. Blood was gushing out of her ears. We dialed 911. They came. They punched a hole in my mother's throat, and they said, well, you don't know that we'll get her to the hospital alive, but we'll try. They punched that hole for her to breathe. It was terrible. When they took my mom out the door, I didn't realize I wouldn't see her for two and a half years. When you're eight years old, two and a half is a long time. Every day, all we did was, is she alive? Did she make it another day? She was living in an iron lung. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't move. Polio had invaded her body. Finally, I got to go see my mother after two and a half years with my sister. And we couldn't be in her presence because of the contagion, but... We got to see each other just through a glass window. And when they rolled her iron lung up, it scared me. That huge machine was the only thing that kept her alive. And I heard my mother on the speaker say, turn my head, I want to see my kids. And when they turned her head, she shrieked in pain. And I remember getting upset with the Lord saying, you took her arms, her legs, she can't breathe. You could have left her neck. But the minute my mom made face contact with me, she changed my life forever. Can I caution you? When life puts a serious bear hug on you, what comes out of your lips will never be forgotten by your kids. They'll never forget. My mom looked at me and she said, son, don't you think that? I said, don't think what, mom? She said, son, he's promised he's doing all things well. And this isn't what I thought the plan would be. But this was his plan. Praise him for it. Hmm. That's what I got told. Finally, when she got to come home, she can't dress herself, can't feed herself. She's very sick. But when we had devotions together, my dad said, what would you like God to do? 
that's impossible. Now remember, here's a lady that has just been two and a half years in an iron lung. And she looked at our family, this is my mother, and my mom said, I know I'm very damaged goods. Who'd want me? But I still have breath. And I'm asking God to let me do something for him. I know I'm very damaged goods, but I still have breath. I didn't know what to make of that. A new pastor in town came to our house and prayed with my family. And my mom shared it with him. She said, pray that God gives me something to do. She said, I still have breath. I can't move, I can't do anything, but I have breath. By the way, you'll know when God's done with you, you'll be looking at him. As long as you have breath, he has something for you to do. Amen. That man said, Mrs. Gibbs, we haven't started our services yet, so we don't have a Sunday school yet, but when we do, do you think from that wheelchair you could do a Sunday school? My mom said I'd be honored. And when that man left, I thought, she's not gonna be able to do that, that's impossible. I said, Mom, she said, son, my God specializes in the impossible. Have faith in God. They started the church. My sister and I were the only two in the Sunday school for a month. And finally, my mom said, we got to go up to town to the big bus company, and we got to have them give us some buses to bring kids to Sunday school. And I said, Mom, I don't think they're going to give them away. I just don't. She said, they'll have to. We have no money. My mom's illness cost my dad in the 50s over $2 million. And he paid every penny. He said, I gave him my word I'd pay. And he did. It took him his whole life. But when he went home to be with the Lord, the account was settled. My mom said, I want you to take me up to town. We're going to get them to give us some buses so we can bring kids to Sunday school. We went up to town. Here was this bus company with a massive fleet of buses. And as I was getting my mom out of the car to go inside, it was a wintry day, terrible day, snow and ice everywhere. I accidentally dropped her. She slid through my hands. And we both crashed to the ground. And she's crying, and I'm crying, and I'm saying, Mom, let's go home. She said, No, we're going to get the bus. I've asked. Do you know how powerful an ask with God is? Finally, I got her in her wheelchair, and we went in. There's a young lady there at the reception desk, and my mom said, we have no money, but we need for you to give us a bus. 
and we need it for free so we can get kids to Sunday school to get saved. She said, well, I don't think we've ever done that before, but there's a first time for everything. Let me get the vice president down here, and here he came. He came down, he said, lady, it's a nice idea, but we've never done it. We're not going to start with you today. And my mom said, you have to. He said, why? She said, because I've asked. And he said, who? She said, I've asked the Lord God. And he is going to be some kind of upset with you if you don't give me those buses. And I'm like, whoa, mom. Finally, she said, I need to talk to the owner of the buses, and here he comes. That man came down, i never forget, he said, Lady, you parked under my office window three stories up. When you fell, I saw it. I've never seen a bus matter that much to anybody. I don't get this. My mom looked at him and said, Do you understand kids are going to go to heaven or hell based on whether you give me buses to get them to church? He said, well, let me ask you this question. If I give you a bus, who will drive at you? She said, oh, you're right. I forgot I need a bus and a driver. <laughs> he said, okay, lady, here's the deal. I'll give you one bus, one driver, one Sunday. That's it. My mom said, thank you, thank you, but I need two. She said, there's an east side and a west side. He said, okay, lady. Two buses, two drivers, one Sunday. That's it. But you've got to promise me you're going to be sure God knows about it. And my mom said, I'll be sure I tell him tonight. <laughs> On the way home in the car, I said, Mom, you've got two buses. How? She said, I asked. Who'd give me anything? I can't put a fork to my mouth. Why would anybody trust me to do anything? Ask in faith, believing, and ye shall receive. He only gave us two for one Sunday, because the next Sunday he gave us three. <laughs> and before long, he was giving us 55 to 60 buses every week and 55 to 60 drivers every week. And the Sunday school with no children in it, in four years' time, never had fewer than 4,000 children. And it was all run by a lady who couldn't do anything. And when they wrote her story, they said, this is the lady who's very damaged goods, but she has a God who isn't. Your God is not damaged. I don't know what it is that you would do with the impossible. Here's what I know. Everybody is supposed to do it. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, 
and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Don't live life seeing what you can pull off. God wants you to move mountains. God wants you to do the impossible. Yeah, but Brother Gibbs, what if God says no? Now hear me and I'm done. There's only two times God says no. And both are in Scripture. Number one, if you're asking selfish. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your own lust. If you're just asking selfish, God's not going to play that game. So don't make it selfish. Or number two, if it's not his divine will for you, God loves you and me too much to give any of his children what is not in his will for them. But you know what I've discovered? It's almost always in his will if you ask. And I've watched people everywhere do the impossible. When my dad had his 80th birthday, I said, Dad, what would you like for a party? He said, you remember that evangelist that we, we pulled the tent up and that we put the Romans Road on television for? I said, yeah. The guy who moved mountains? I said, yeah, I remember. My dad said, I want him to be your friend, son. Because if you're not careful, you're going to be surrounded by people who don't do any of that. By the grace of God, ask in faith, believing, and ye shall receive. Bow your head, Father.